0: Our Bible reading is Judges 6, verses 11 to 18, and it's on page 248 of the Church Bible. So Judges 6, 11 to 18, on page 248. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash, the Ab is right, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. me, my lord. But if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us, given us into the hand of Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Pardon me, my Lord. but How can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh and I'm the least in my family. I will be with you and you will strike down all the Midianites leaving none alive. If I've now found favor in your eyes. Give me a sign that it's really you talking to me. Please don't go away until I come back and bring my offering and set it before you. I will wait until you return. Thank you guys. As I said um, earlier, Richard Blake is bringing our um, sermon to us this morning, but he's still testing positive for COVID. Um, So he's prepared a video, which we're gonna watch this in a moment. I'm just gonna pray and then we're gonna watch that. Father God, thank you um, that you are with Richard now. Thank you for all of the preparation and time and effort and energy he has put into um, this video for us this morning. I pray that it would be nourishing to our souls um, and that we would be challenged and changed um, and lost in wonder at who you are, Lord. And pray that you would bring healing to Richard, Lord. Amen.
1: Good morning, dear friends. I'm sorry not to be with you in person Uh, But uh, I went to Keswick for a blessing and I came back with Covid. But here we are. Uh, Our subject this morning is looking at Yahweh the Deliverer, strength out of weakness as we come to the story of Gideon in Judges chapter 6 through to chapter 8. Now we've already seen with the book of Judges a repeated cycle of decline. When the people of God leave his ways, they suffer his wrath and the world's attack. So rebellion against their loving God who rescued and blessed them, it leads to oppression by hostile countries. And then uh, God's people uh, repent and they cry to him for help and deliverance is brought by our incredibly patient and forgiving God. And so the overall message of this book, only God can rescue and he remains faithful to his often unfaithful people. So, strength out of weakness. Well, there's plenty of weakness in our story uh, uh, right from the beginning. It starts with religious decline, spiritual weakness. Disobedience to God's covenant, the uh, Israelite people had begun to embrace the degenerate Canaanite cults around them and Israel was failing in its mission to be distinctive, to be known for its wise, humane laws, its prosperity and absence of poverty. It was meant to be such a country that the nations around would be awed. Uh, by Israel's wonderful God. So uh, religious decline had turned to national weakness. As the Israelites had forsaken God's protective covering, they became at risk uh, from marauders around. The desert raiders, the Midianites and the Amalekites, and they were using um, a new weapon in war. They were using camels. This is the first recorded use of camels in warfare. Uh, it enabled uh, uh, long-range um, raiding groups to take place, to come in over the, uh, uh, the wilderness, come in from the desert, and to attack God's people. And they were helpless in front of such an attack. And we find it's not only national helplessness, but personal helplessness too. The Israelites were finding security wherever they could, hiding away in caves and clefts. And uh, a leading family of, of Joash, um, uh, uh, the uh, uh, member of this leading family of Joash, cowering in a wine press uh, to keep a hold on his grain. Uh, why a wine press? If he had been threshing grain. On a usual threshing floor, that would be an exposed position, an elevated location, so that the wind could take away the chaff. Well, the Midianites would see the clouds of uh, uh, dust rising from miles away and home in on it. So he's hiding away in a wine press uh, uh, where there was a bit more, um, uh, uh, where there was less visibility. And Gideon, he's the unlikely hero of our story, uh, a hero in his hideaway. Does this speak to the church in our world today, in our own culture, where Christians feel disempowered and demoralized and, frankly, we keep our heads down, keep out of sight, when actually we're called to be witnesses to Christ? Our story today shows what happens when God takes a hand. At the beginning of chapter 6, we read how disaster strikes. The Israelites have rebelled against God, and he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Then the people cry out to God, and he sends a prophet to explain. All this is a result of their disobedience to him. And now, what will God do? Verse 11 in chapter 6, The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah. Now, the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament is no ordinary angel. He is always equivalent to the Lord. He is to be reverenced, even worshipped. Theologians describe this as a theophany a pre-incarnation appearance of Jesus, whom we know as the Son of God in the New Testament. Well, this is the appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ, we believe, uh, before his incarnation. And let's watch as the transformation takes place, first in a man and then in a nation. So we start with a scared man in his hideaway, as he hears the word of God. And it's a rather frightening command to save God's people. And Gideon's reaction is a little bit like, Moses, Lord, I pray, send someone else. Or Peter, as he meets the Lord Jesus in the New Testament, depart from me, O Lord, for I am a sinful man. But when God calls, he enables Gideon's excuses here are are swept away one by one. Excuse one, hasn't God stopped doing wonders these days? Excuse two, I'm too insignificant or powerless to do anything. Who will respond if I call? And third, I need a sign that this really is a divine call. Now, uh, Gideon has received the word of God and his command now he receives a commission to rescue israel and strength for the task so he receives god's word he receives god's promise go in the strength you have and save israel out of midian's hand what was the strength he had not his own pitiful personal ability but now he would have god's strength with him He's got the promise of the Lord's presence, assurance now of divine strength for the task. And as the story develops, we'll see the soldier developing in Gideon. But before that, however, watch this transformation, the doubter becomes a worshipper. He brought an offering to the angel of the Lord, an offering of worship. And if we're to achieve anything in God's strength, we need an awareness of the wonder and the beauty of Christ. We come to worship him. May our devotion uh, lead to service, service based on love. So the doubter becomes the worshipper, and then the compromiser becomes the idol destroyer, locking horns with Baal, the local deity. Uh, we find that uh, his father Joash uh, uh, has a prominent uh, uh, um, altar uh, dedicated to Baal and um, Gideon's first instruction is to get rid of that. And frankly, maybe we in our service of God first need to take a stand for Jesus wherever we are, at home, in the pub with our workmates and workplace and uh, Gideon discovered that God's grace was there to shield him and um, we haven't time to read it all but his dad stood up for him uh, and, and said uh, yes uh, my son has uh, pulled down the altar of Baal but you can't put him to death if Baal is a god let Baal uh, do his own work for him he, he, Baal can Perfectly well strike him down um, if Baal is a real god. And now Gideon is ready for the test. Uh, We read um, how the invaders reached the valley of Jezreel. And then, verse 34, Then the Spirit of the Lord came on Gideon and he blew a trumpet, summoning the Abbey Ezrites to follow him, and he was empowered by God through the Spirit for the task ahead. He called out the four hill tribes to follow him to armed resistance against the invader. Why, that was a bold move. Unprecedented act of defiance after many years of defeat. He was putting his own name and reputation on the line. Huge personal risk and cost. This was courage empowered by the Lord. Later, we learn that the Midianites killed his brothers, possibly as a reprisal for his defiant stand. As chapter 6 comes to an end, we find Gideon still doubting. He asks God for another sign, dew on the fleece while the ground is dry. And then another, the fleece dry and the ground to be dew set. Was it right to put God to the test when he'd had the promise uh, of of God's presence with him? I doubt it. But even, uh, even so, in mercy the Lord provided even this. Now we need something for our own day too. Do we, Christians, have wavering faith in our great God of wonders? Yes, in Bible times he did great things. In earlier days, in other lands, he still does. But we can't expect him to do much here. And the question comes to you and me. Where is God's glory dishonoured today? In our own lives? In our family? In our workplace? Our street? Our country? Will we pray earnestly for change and let God commission us in his service? He will call some to be activists and some to be publicists, but all of us are called to be intercessors. The battle is the Lord's, and this is where the battle line is drawn. There was a well-known Christian theologian, A.W. Tozer, who put it like this. There is nothing God has done in the past that he cannot do today. There is nothing God has done elsewhere that he cannot do here. There is nothing God has done for others that he cannot do for you. Let's remember that Jesus gave extraordinary power and authority to his servants in prayer according to his will. Ask what you will in my name, he said. May we thirst for his glory and pray for his kingdom and leave God to work. We have our second reading, Judges chapter 7, verses 15 to 22.
0: Hello again, you can find that reading on page 250. And so it's Judges 7, verse 15 to 22. When Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation, he bowed down and worshipped. He returned to the camp of Israel and called out, Get up! The Lord has given the Midianite camp into our hands. Dividing the 300 men into three companies, He placed trumpets and empty jars in the hands of all of them with torches inside. Watch me, he told them. Follow my lead. When I get to the edge of the camp, do exactly as I do. When I and all who are with me blow our trumpets, then from all around the camp blow yours and shout, for the Lord and for Gideon. Gideon and the hundred men with him reached the edge of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch, just after they had changed the guard. they blew their trumpets and broke the jars that were in their hands. With the three companies, the three companies blew the trumpets and smashed the jars, grasping the torches in their left hands and holding in their right hands the trumpets they were to blow. They shouted, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. While each man held his position around the camp, all the Midianites ran, crying out as they fled. When the 300 trumpets sounded, the Lord caused the men throughout the camp to turn on each other with their swords. The army fled in Beth towards Zerara, and as far as the border of Abel, Mahola near Tabith.
1: Well, let's see what happens uh, with God in charge. We read uh, in these chapters of Judges, Uh, The invading army numbered at least 135,000 soldiers. And Gideon initially had about 30,000 defenders. But in God's eyes, far too many. It will be God's strength and not theirs that achieves wonders. It won't be human valour and ingenuity that wins, but God's gracious action. And so Gideon's numbers get reduced, various tests, and the numbers are reduced to 300. But 300 plus God is a mighty force indeed. God is always concerned for his glory, and he can act with many or with few. Let's follow the dramatic story of the night action Gideon's 300 divided into three groups a hundred resolute commandos each, uh, and they go to the hills above the sprawling Midianite encampment. It's the change of watch. It's thought to be about 10pm at night. The new sentries coming on duty, getting their night vision, takes about a quarter of an hour usually. I imagine that the elite camel-mounted raiders uh, had, had... already returned and brought back into had come back into the center of the encampment and uh, besides these elite uh, uh, soldiers there were rather more ordinary foot soldiers who are in charge of the baggage the fodder the tentage and they provide the outlying sentries for the encampment and then 10 o'clock at night this sudden crash as 300 large pottery jars are smashed onto the rocks, and then smoking firebrands flared into flame as they were waved in the air. And the awesome, mysterious, echoing call of ram's horn's trumpets has a terrifying impact on those uh, in the Midianite encampment. And I imagine the battle worked something like this the elite force in the centre of the camp, the second-rate troops guarding the perimeter. They would flee to the centre for protection. Meanwhile, the elite warriors rush out to the edges to defend the position, and the two groups clash in the confusion of darkness and the panic of the moment and uh, a real problem of identity in the darkness. When... Uh, American paratroopers were landed in Normandy uh, on D-Day at night, they carried with them a secret weapon to secure uh, a nighttime challenge. Here it is. Each soldier carried one of these to mimic the sound of a cricket. So if he saw somebody in the darkness and didn't know whether it was friend or foe, he would give the challenge, and if he got a a challenge back like that, a reply to his challenge, he would know that it was one of his, and if not, it was an enemy. Well, something like this, the shouting, the hacking, the fighting in the darkness, and it left 120,000 slain. Well, evidently, this had to be God's victory, using 300 to achieve uh, such an outcome. We do read further of Gideon's part in organising effective strategy, taking control of the river crossings, for instance. Uh, we, As we read these chapters, we may not like the ruthlessness of his pursuit of the Amalekites and the uh, Midianites, but he had been commissioned by the angel of the Lord to eliminate the enemy totally. And it's total victory. God's wonderful deliverance, strength, out of weakness. And if only we could leave the story there. But I'm afraid we move on into chapter 8 and we discover that neglecting God leads to failure again. Uh, Gideon was invited to rule the people. He gives the right answer, God is your king. In in chapter 8, verse 23, he says, I will not rule over you, the Lord will rule over you. But... He collected tribute gold earrings, and from these he made an ephod. Now the high priest wore a sacred ephod, a woven breast piece, which bore the engraved precious stones carrying the names of all the tribes, and wearing this garment, the high priest would enter the presence of God to pray for the people. And inside that ephod were two sacred stones for casting lots to find God's will. And now Gideon sets up another ephod, a rival ephod made of gold. Maybe initially his idea was that this would symbolise the glory of Yahweh. Perhaps he thought he could use this to determine God's will. But it was not in God's appointed way. It was a disastrous move. It ministered to Gideon's own pride. It became an object of worship for Gideon and his family. Gideon made the gold into an ephod, which he placed in Ophrah, his town. All Israel prostituted themselves by worshipping it there, and it became a snare to Gideon and his family. Gideon had been strong against the Midianites, but now collapses before this temptation to self-admiration and lording it over others no longer passionate for God's glory, but concerned for his own. And we have a problem too, the weakness of our human nature, our self-centeredness, our pride, our unwillingness to let God be our master. And Gideon's story makes us ask, who can save humanity from itself and from God's wrath? Israel and all mankind needed a greater deliverer even than Gideon. And these stories in Judges and right through the Old Testament, they point forward to God's supreme rescue through Jesus, the Son of God, the humble servant of the Father, seeking not his own glory, but the Father's. Jesus, who laid down his life, at the cross, voluntarily dying to pay the debt for our wrongdoing. Prayed forgiveness for his enemies, one forgiveness for us all. As Paul wrote to his friend Titus, when the kindness and love of God our Saviour appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Saviour. Titus 3 verses 4 to 6. Rebirth. Renewal. We can be made new people through Christ and his Spirit. Gideon was given the Spirit for a particular task. God gives his Spirit to indwell us permanently and change us forever. Do you have challenges to face in the week ahead, beyond? Hear the word of the Lord. Go in this strength of yours. I will be with you have his Spirit in our hearts. May we go in the strength of the Lord and may he be with us all for his glory.